They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. So good morning everybody and, and welcome to this, our special Remembrance Sunday service here at Essex Church where this community known as Kensington Unitarians meets each Sunday for worship. As Unitarians we do not have one message to proclaim on a day such as this. Some people here are pacifists and view war as a crime against our very humanity. Some people may consider war a sometimes terrible necessity. And our lives, just like the lives of all other human beings, will have been touched by war in different ways, because war is an uncomfortable reality, is it not, for us all? We stood silently a moment ago in memory of all those who gave their lives in warfare to preserve our liberty. The famous words written by Lawrence Binion speak of the soldiers who have died. May this, our living flame, symbol of our worldwide liberal religious faith, may that flame burn brightly today to commemorate all those people whose lives have been blighted by warfare the world over, not least of whom are the civilians. As well as those who fight and are wounded or killed in wars, we need to remember the, the old, the young, the women, Children, all those who are caught up in warfare, not as participants, but as shocked and frightened bystanders. May this, our sacred flame, burn brightly today as we remember and reflect together. Would you join me now in a time of prayer and reflection? As I call on the divine spirit of life and of love to be with us now and to bless all that we say and do together here today. Let us pray for the women and men who are currently serving in the armed forces. That they might perform their role nobly and return safely to their families and loved ones. Let us also acknowledge that there will be people who will not return from warfare. As we grieve their passing reported in the news. Let us honour their service and their sacrifice. Those of us who have not lived through a time of war in our own country, cannot fully imagine the experience. But we do know war's aftermath and the toll that it can take on the human heart, on human communities, and on the very land itself. And may we never forget the chilling figures that remind us how many more civilians lose their lives as a result of warfare far more than those who fight. 
And let us pray, as we often do, for peace in this troubled world of ours where conflicts too often and too quickly turn to violence. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with us. And in our own lives, there may well be troubles, confusions, uncertainties. Let us entrust our prayers and our concerns to the great spirit of life that holds us all. That all our rememberings, our thoughts and our prayers be held in love now and always. Amen. Our first reading today is from uh, Jonathan Swift's Gulliver's Travels. Um, a book in which he, he satirically points out human foibles. And you may know this, this story. It's at the point where he uh, reaches the island of Lilliput and uh, discovers the people who live there and on the next island of Blefuscu. Besides, our histories of 6,000 moons make no mention of any other regions than the two great empires of Lilliput and Blefuscu, which two mighty powers have, as I was going to tell you, been engaged in a most obstinate war for six and thirty moons past. It began upon the following occasion. It is allowed on all hands that the primitive way of breaking eggs before we eat them was upon the larger end. But his present majesty's grandfather, while he was a boy, going to eat an egg and breaking it according to the ancient practice, happened to cut one of his fingers. Whereupon the emperor, his father, published an edict commanding all his subjects, upon great penalties, to break the smaller end of their eggs. The people so highly resented this law that our histories tell us there have been six rebellions raised on that account, wherein one emperor lost his life and another his crown. These civil commotions were constantly fermented by the monarchs of Blefuscu. And when they were quelled, the exiles always fled for refuge to that empire, our enemies. It is computed that 11,000 persons have at several times suffered death rather than submit to break their eggs at the smaller end. Many hundred large volumes have been published upon this controversy, but the books of the big Endians, as we call them, have been long forbidden, and the whole party rendered incapable by law of holding employment. During the course of these troubles, the emperors of Blefuscu did frequently expostulate their ambassadors, accusing us of making a schism in religion by offending against a fundamental doctrine of their great prophet, Lustrog. The words are these, that all true believers shall break their eggs at the convenient end, which is 
The convenient end seems, in my humble opinion, to be left to every man's conscience, or at least in the power of the chief magistrate to determine. And it goes on to say, how many thousands of vessels have been sunk and how many people have been killed because of the argument between the big Endians and the little Endians. Some thoughts from uh, Jonathan Swift. On the front of your order of service is a photograph, and it was taken by the spacecraft Cassini in 1997, and it shows the Earth from a great distance. I'm going to read a piece by Carl Sagan, and it's his attempt to put humans in our place. But you might want to look at that picture as I read. Consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, Every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and every peasant, Every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there, on a moat of dust, suspended in a sunbeam. The Earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings. How eager they are to kill one another. How fervent their hatreds. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us us from ourselves. The Earth is the only world known, so far, to harbour life. There is nowhere else, at least in the future, to which our species could migrate. Visit, maybe. Settle, not yet. Like it or not, for the moment, Earth is where we make our stand. 
It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceit than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish this pale blue dot, the only home we have ever known. By most of our Remembrance Sunday services, this one brings a message of peace in our singing, in our prayers. But all week, as I've been preparing today's address, I've come back to the gloomy thought that perhaps we humans are incapable of living peaceably together. Perhaps there's something within us, within human nature, that causes us to fight with one another. I wonder if this strikes a chord with any of you. I used to hold far more idealistic views, and I rather hope that there are plenty of idealists still holding the possibility for us that this world could be a peaceful place for all. Looking around, I know that some of you were on that demonstration against the Iraq war back in February 2003, the largest demonstrations ever held in over 60 countries around the world. There are an estimated one million people here in London alone, out on the streets, campaigning against that invasion. It didn't succeed, did it? But it did bring public awareness to the issues, the complex issues involved. And of course, 10 years on, our society is still working through quite a few of those issues. Only this week we've had the trial of three Royal Marines who were recorded, who in fact recorded themselves, killing a wounded Taliban fighter in Afghanistan. One of them has now been found guilty of murder in a quite poignant, I think, example of how strangely we humans try to maintain some kind of decency in the midst of the complete indecency that is war. It's as if we do our best, even when we are trying to do our worst. And perhaps it's in the nature of war to bring out contradictions in us. War shows us how brutal we can be and how caring. It juxtaposes murder with soldierly comradeship, rape and love, torture and religious conviction, destruction and annihilation alongside a sense of life taken to a new level of intensity. Our reasons for going to war can be heroic or downright ridiculous, as Jonathan Swift was pointing out in uh, his story from Gulliver's Travels and his tales of the Big Endians, It mattered so deeply to them which end you should crack your boiled egg that lives would be lost for it. And I expect that we can all think of real-life examples of reasons for war not much more sensible than that. 
And even when a reason for war is sound, as many people would say that the Second World War had to be fought against the forces of fascism, but then later studies will tell us just how much more nuanced it really all was, not just the goodies versus the baddies. And when we take that longer view, perhaps the philosopher Spinoza, that view from the aspect of eternity or from Carl Sagan's pale blue dot circling in space, war can look even more illogical, can't it? James Hillman, a highly regarded thinker, a clinical and cultural psychologist, wrote powerfully of all this in his book, A Terrible Love of War. He surveys history and literature and decides that war holds a mythic importance in the human psyche with its ability to bring out the best and the worst in us all as individuals and as societies and in our culture. He considers at one point what we express through our music of war, how very cheering and rallying such music can be. Trevor, Peter and I share a fondness for a songbook called the News Chronicle Songbook and they're going to um, play just the, the first verse and chorus now of Hearts of Oak. Come chill my that songbook and I know that song because my mother had that songbook as a child and then she used to sing from that book to me that is one of the songs that we sing with each other my mother now in her late 80s who can spend a day with me and at the end of the day say what a lovely day but just remind me who are you we sang that quite recently together And all of a sudden, from saying what a marvellous song it was, and we were marching round the garden where she lives, suddenly she said, oh, but it's all so pointless, isn't it? And proceeded to tell me the story again of her brother Donald, who, aged 19, had been shot down in an RAF plane over the deserts of North Africa in 1943. All so pointless, she said. And then told me that actually he hadn't been shot down, as had always been the story that I'd heard. But in fact, it was well known, she said, there were faults with those planes. It was the equipment that lost Donald's life. And then the memory had gone again. And I was left with her words. It's all so pointless, isn't it? Yet still wars are being fought for all sorts of reasons. James Hillman argues in his book that there is within us a warrior aspect that needs expression and that if we do not find ways to express these fierce parts of ourselves, they will find an outlet through war. 
I often speak here of peace beginning within ourselves. Today I wonder if war also begins with the human heart, where we, perhaps at war with ourselves, confused by all our contradictions, seek relief then by projecting out into the world all this pain and confusion that it is to be human. So today, perhaps, instead of peace, let us seek to find a resolution within ourselves of both our warlike and our peaceful aspects and hope to find new ways to express our strength, our comradeship, our patriotism and indeed our very zest for life without, hopefully, taking up arms. Amen. May we be upright in our living. May our anger be turned to the work of justice. May we be fierce in our loving. May we protect the weak and the innocent and not count the cost. May we, O God, in a world that needs warriors, agree to be present and to be counted in life. Amen. Go well and blessed be.